0: Join me now for a special interview with Shane Claiborne, recorded May 14th.
1: Hey, friends,
0: this is Michael Brown, and we've got a really important and special broadcast, one that is going to touch on some very, very important issues that right now are dividing the body of Christ to the point that brothers and sisters on either side of the divide don't even consider others to be brothers and sisters. So we're going to have a very candid, open conversation, one that I pray will glorify the Lord and help bring clarity. I'm here to speak, and I'm here to listen. I'm here to share and I'm here to learn so that we can communicate with open hearts. My guest today, Shane Claiborne, uh, I I began hearing about him years back with the Red Letter Christians saying, hey, let's take Jesus seriously as if he meant what he said. So for Shane, that meant going to a place like India to work with Mother Teresa in Calcutta and, and challenging a lot of our status quo Christianity in America. And in those things, my heart's resonated with him, been to India myself 27 times over the years and Travel the nations, have a great heart for for people uh, around the world, the poor, the hurting, and as things have developed now over the years, uh, Shane has been very much in the camp that would not vote for Trump and would have massive problems with Christians supporting Trump. I've been in the camp that has uh, voted for President Trump. I thought, you know, it'd be really good if we just talk through things together, try to understand, and with with the goal of let's underscore some of these differences, but with a way that we're trying to explain it to one another. So without further ado, uh, Shane Claiborne, welcome to The Line of Fire. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Yes, my brother, it's good to be with you. Uh, so for those who don't know you,
0: if, if someone said, oh, who is Shane Claiborne and who is Jesus to Shane?" how would you answer that?
2: Wow. Well, I, I've been at this uh, for a few years, man. Uh, but I, I, you know, I fell in love with Jesus down in Tennessee where I grew up, uh, you know, kind of the heart of the Bible belt. And I went to one of those festivals where I heard a preacher talk about how God so loved the world that Jesus came and died for our sins and to, to heal the world. And I went to the altar, you know, and dedicated my life to Jesus. And, um, uh, and then, you know, I, I, I saw a pattern, you know, we went to more of those festivals and I kept going to the altar and dedicate my life to Jesus, but I didn't know what to do You know from there. And uh, I heard a preacher say so beautifully, uh, if we find ourselves climbing the ladder of upward mobility and uh, status and success, we better be careful or else on our way up, we might pass Jesus on his way down. Mm -hmm. And he talked about, you know, how the whole story of Jesus is about a God that leaves the comfort of heaven to join the struggle here on earth and has a, uh, you know, a certain uh, magnetism towards the marginalized and the hurting is born as a refugee dies on a cross. And so I, you know, that reoriented things for me because here I was, you know good Sunday school going, straight A student. I was prom king. Uh, Dr. Brown, that shows you what a small town I'm from. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so and, and it really, you know, here's Jesus saying, sell what you have and give it to the poor. And I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I find a job where I can make a bunch of money and go snowboarding a lot, you know, and I, Jesus saying the last will be first and the first will be last. And Uh, and, and so it really began to shape my world. And, uh, that's why when I I meet some people and they tell me their testimony and they're like, yeah, I, uh, my life was such a mess. You know, I, I I went to jail, I did all this stuff. And then I met Jesus and, uh, and, and everything came together and I'm like, God bless you. You know, for me, I pretty much have my life together and I met Jesus and he messed me up. (laughs) You know, I've been, uh, sort of, uh, trying to read those words in the gospel, uh, And say, what if Jesus really meant the stuff he said, that we're to sell what we have and give it to the poor, that we're to, uh, you know, welcome the stranger, knowing that we welcome Christ as we do it and love our enemies. So, uh, that's, uh, it's changed my life, man. And I, I came up to Philly, uh, 20 years ago, went to college at Eastern university, uh, right outside of Philadelphia. And, um, and then it was in the middle of all that, that I met a group of homeless families that really, uh, uh, changed my life. Uh, they, they were homeless moms and children who were on the waiting list for housing and had nowhere to go. And so they, they moved into an abandoned church building, this old abandoned Catholic cathedral, and started living there. And we started a student movement to come alongside of them. Uh, and they had a beautiful sign on the front of the abandoned church that said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday. Mm. Uh, so it re- really, uh, that that was the spark that helped create uh, the community I've been a part of for the last 20 years or so uh, here on the north side. It's called The Simple Way. And uh, we're, we're you know, inspired by the early church and the book of Acts to mm-hmm. share what we have and try to live out our faith uh, in this neighborhood on the north side. All right. so So Shane, when you
0: live like that, it's easy to look at other Christians who don't or Christians who are wealthy, or Christians who perhaps have, uh, they love the Lord, but have different burdens and things. We're not talking about people just living in compromise and sin, but one of the most quoted and often misquoted or misunderstood verses from the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus starts in the seventh chapter and saying, don't judge lest you be judged. You'll be judged by the same measure with which you judge others. So, uh, of course, you know the, the passage by heart there and the whole context of it, but how does that work out in your own life? Where you're doing your best to follow the mandate of Jesus, but you don't want to be judgmental towards others that may have a different perspective, or, or is that not how you interpret the verse? How, how does that work out in your life when you have? Because because I remember being in part of a church late '70s, early '80s when the the boat crisis, boat people crisis happened in Vietnam, the collapse of the country. Vietnamese refugees uh, fleeing and for their lives, we began to take them into our homes and, and we'd work with the poor and the hurting. And it seemed like the less we had, the more we could give. And and I remember kind of judging those that weren't doing the same thing at that time. So how do you work that out, living what many would say is a radical life to, you, it's just a Jesus life, without judging those that may not live the same way you do?
2: That's a, that's a such an important question. And how, I guess part of what what gives me a little bit of grace with other people is I see what a work in progress. I am myself, you know, uh, like, I, I like how, I think it was old Chesterton that was asked what's the biggest problem in the world. And he said, I am. Mm. <laughs> you know, so that, that idea that we're to get the log out of our own eyes, Jesus said, you know, before we uh, look, you know, try to get the speck out of our neighbors. So one of the things that Jesus speaks so passionately and so consistently about his self-righteousness and how toxic it is. And I've I really, you know, he says, the, he calls it, you know, the yeast of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And he, he says to the religious elite, um, um, woe to you uh you, you, you know the, he says that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you i've not come for the healthy i've come for the sick you know he tells stories about the the religious guy that stands up and says thank you that i'm not like yeah. those people pointing fingers and you know the other guy the tax collector just beats his chest and says god have mercy on me a sinner um and that's the posture you know i hope to have is is beat my own chest trying to work on my own contradictions and uh um, and, and on a lot of these issues that I'm so passionately about, like ending the death penalty and, um, decreasing the number of lives lost to guns, uh, on the, uh, you know, for a lot of my life, I felt very differently. And I, I argued for the death penalty, you know, and had the Bible verses to back it up and things like that. So that gives me a little bit of grace. I was down in Texas not too long ago, and this guy came up to me and he said, uh, I got to tell you, man, I'm a I'm a redneck. I'm a gun toting, pickup truck driving, you know, whiskey drinking redneck. And I've been reading your books and they have messed me up and he said I wanted to ask if you'd pray with me cuz I'm a recovering redneck mm. <laughs> you know and so i you know i i think that that humility is what jesus celebrates everywhere it's at the core of what it means to to be a follower of jesus is to realize you know that that this whole gospel is not about how good we are it's about how good god yep. is yep. and there, you know we're just trying to help each other become a little bit more like jesus every day uh, so when my my friend uh, he, he, somebody said the church is full of hypocrites and he has a really good answer. He goes, no, it's not. We've always got room for more. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the answer. All right. So, so uh, here's, here's what is baffling to me. All right. Um, I I know you from a distance and just the moment I heard your voice as we talked face to face, so to say via Skype, I immediately liked you, you know, just the, uh, so without knowing you just immediately something's like, I like this guy. So, I. I hear what you're saying. I believe it. I, I don't question that, that you meant everything you said. That you're totally sincere in this. And we've got oh, about three minutes before our first break. So we'll, we'll just get started on this. But please explain the, the Shane Claiborne that just said all this with humility, grace, uh, and, and honor towards others, which I believe is who you are. I totally believe that. Um, the, here's, a, here's a quote of yours from, from Twitter. Trump evangelicalism is a cult. Let us rebuke it. In the name of Jesus. Now, I mean, I read that and heard that one way, and it seemed that evangelicals that voted for Trump support Trump because of his strong pro-life stance or for religious liberties or for other things that, you know, push back against radical terrorism or the, you know, the oppression of China and things like that, that they felt Trump was the right man to vote for, although they don't like or we don't like a ton of things about him. Then this this mild-mannered, gracious Tennessean says Trump evangelicalism is a cult. Let us rebuke it. In the name of Jesus. So this is the kind of stuff I want to try to understand as brothers. So we got two minutes to start, then we'll continue on the other side of the break. So please explain that to me, being who you are, what you meant when you said that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, brother. And I don't use that word lightly. I, I you know, I, I actually looked up in the dictionary the definition of cult. Uh, so I'd have one for you, and this is the dictionary definition of cult: a misplaced or excessive admiration. For a particular person or theme, and this is my concern with uh, the the fidelity to Trump is that we end up um, uh, the, the the great danger in any election season and political engagement is to misplace our admiration mm-hmm. and our hope um, and. I, I, because I believe that Trump, I don't think that Trump changed America. I think he revealed America and he's surfaced some of our deepest and darkest principalities and powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, when the scriptures say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and the authorities in high places, I think Trump is kind of, uh, and Trump evangelicalism, I said very particularly is a manifestation of a really distorted version of Christianity that doesn't pass the sniff test. It doesn't um, smell like Jesus. It doesn't resemble the fruits of the spirit. And I I believe that Trump, God's grace is big enough for Donald Trump. If it's not big enough for him, it's not big enough for any of us. But he himself has said, when he's asked about repentance and have you asked God for forgiveness, he says, no, that's not how I relate to God. I live in a way that doesn't warrant forgiveness. You're like,
0: wow! What's at stake in all of this? i right, so tell you what. Let me let me They're jump. jump, jump let me jump in. We've just got a break. Yeah. Uh, let me jump in, and we will continue. Uh, we're getting to the nitty gritty now. We will be right back.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right,
0: friends, I am sitting via Skype with red-letter activist Shane Claiborne. You say, what does that mean? It means, well, he tries to take Jesus at his word. He says, if you tell us to live a certain way, we want to do it. Because of that, he's had some real issues with what he calls Trump evangelicalism, even calling it a cult, and obviously When Christians hear the word cult, they would think being part of a false religion and and so on, and even their salvation being questioned, uh, Shane's point is that there's a misplaced admiration for Trump that should obviously go to the Lord instead. But uh, you wanted to further explain that, Shane, you were saying that uh, you believe Trump has revealed a lot in America, which I agree with, that a lot has come to the surface on all sides, which I agree with, so, uh, please define more carefully, though, Trump evangelicalism, so people know exactly what you're saying.
2: Right. So, I, I think that the, the the danger when we uh, when we put our hope in a person or a political party is that we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. I, lo- I love that old hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand, you know? And there is a whole lot of sinking sand these days. And so when, you know, the reason I wrote the book Jesus for President is I saw that happening, you know, years ago in another election that folk, you know, there were literally signs of Barack Obama that said hope underneath them. And I, I think that the peculiar thing about, Christianity is that we we have a way of hoping that puts all of our hope and our trust in Jesus, not in the sinking sand. So my hope is not in the donkey of the Democrats or the elephant of the GOP. My hope is in the Lamb of God, the risen Savior. And every time the early Christians were saying, Jesus is Lord, they were saying Caesar yes. is not. Yes. It was about a whole political imagination and, um and so when uh, Jerry Falwell uh, Jr. says that Trump is the dream president of Christians or Franklin Graham says God intervened in the election to help Trump become president, that's deeply problematic because uh, what's at stake is not just their reputation but the reputation of our faith and what Christian Christians care about.
0: Got it all right so th- this is this is very helpful and again, uh, you don't hear tone of voice in a tweet. You don't know who the person is sometimes just just reading a few lines. so let let me uh, agree with you, then give another side and then and then keep keep probing deeper uh, if you're good with that Shane. Yeah, all right. okay. So uh, I, I wasn't following a, a lot of the social media in terms of what you were saying during the time of, of President Obama's presidency. But there were certainly left wing evangelicals, say the Jim Wallaces and people like that. Who would have uh, been strongly supporting President Obama, and there would have been a large percentage of Black evangelicals supporting Obama, just like a large percentage of White evangelicals supported Trump. But he was the Obama was the chosen one, you know. Even his famous speech at the Democratic Convention, you know, just like a godlike kind of thing. So I don't know if you were saying the same kind of things then. I I would have hoped you you were. So I'll I'll ask you that in a moment. But Mm -hmm. here's here's uh, I totally agree with you that when evangelical leaders Look the other way with Trump's failings, don't say, hey, this is outrageous and concerning, but here's why we still voted for him for president. In other words, we have flawed candidates in a flawed nation with flawed parties. We look at our whole system as somewhat corrupt, and, and it's a flawed nation that the president's ruling over. So I'm looking at it pragmatically, it's just a vote. I've said it endlessly, Donald Trump is my president, not my savior. He gets my vote. He doesn't get my soul. I'm looking to Jesus through his church to change the nation, not the president and Congress and the courts and all that. But to me, you know, the pro-life issue, the shedding of innocent blood is so high, high, high on the list. I believe high on God's list and, and other issues have to do with our religious liberties and, and things that could take those liberties away for our kids or grandkids. So those are issues to me. So with concern and reluctance, I voted for President Trump uh, versus Hillary Clinton. I felt her agenda would be even more damaging, but making clear the whole time, my trust is in God, in, in, in what he's doing and not in a person. So, so I very much agree with you. That when we just say certain things about the president without qualifying or without saying, hey, I don't like this. I wish he wouldn't call this one a dog. I wish he wouldn't, you know, get involved mm-hmm. with this, you know, to kind of add to the division and the hatred in our nation. But here's why I voted for him. That, that's a separate thing. But you've actually said uh, just another tweet. And these were, uh, as I as work in another book about Trump and evangelicals, will we pass or fail the test? I, I contrast some of your quotes with Robert Jeffress and put them side by side, How do how do we reconcile this? So you tweeted out, I guess February 1st, I love Jesus, it is precisely my love for Jesus that creates my outrage at Trump. When I look at the things Jesus said and compare them to the things Trump says, it is impossible to reconcile the two. I don't know how any Christian can defend Trump. So are you saying you don't know how any Christian could vote for Trump or to defend his ugly conduct?
2: Uh, Both. I mean, I I think that Trump... uh, uh, well, one of the the kids in my neighborhood, uh, 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 well, actually, a kid, it was a friend of one of uh, a kid of one of my friends said, "We got to remember God loves Donald Trump, but that doesn't mean God wants him to be president." And I, I thought that was a, a good way of saying it. I think that that w- when I look at Donald Trump, um, and I can com- I bounce that off of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, um, you you see this very deep contrast that it's very difficult to reconcile uh, a loyalty to Trump and the policies and the rhetoric and the, uh, and the, the, the love of Jesus. Um, I look at the fruits of the spirit and you think if a tree is known by its fruits, th- these, these are the things that God is like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control And you say that, you know, this is what we're to strive after. And so I find Trump's lifestyle and his policies really indefensible. They look more like the seven deadly sins than the fruits of the Spirit. And you look at the Beatitudes, where Jesus blesses the poor and the peacemakers, the meek, the merciful. And The policies of this administration are are cursing some of the very people that Jesus blessed. And uh, so it's actually my love for Jesus that causes my deep concern for Donald Trump. Um, But wouldn't you you be
0: uh, uh, just just to try to understand again, to me, my first issue is, is always shedding of innocent blood. As I look at Scripture, the history of Scripture, why God brought severe judgment on Israel and Judah, always at the top of the list, shedding of innocent blood, sacrificing children to idols, and the closest we come to that is abortion with all the horrors of it and the selling of baby parts and the, you know, I don't understand how any Christian could say watch a movie like Unplanned and not say I have to give the rest of my life to to, to fight for the life of the unborn. And uh, unless you also would say no Christian could vote for Hillary Clinton and no Christian could vote for Barack Obama, because they sanctioned the shedding of innocent blood, and Obama's "God Bless Planned Parenthood" and Hillary Clinton's lifelong, you know, pro-abortion stance and all that—just take that that one issue—then that would be consistent to, to me. That would be consistent to say, "Okay, no Christian can vote for Trump, no Christian can vote for Hillary. We're just going to have to do our best to change America in a positive way." But to me, again, I don't, I don't want to say this in any harsh way or condemning way, Shane. Just brothers talking to brother. It feels hypocritical to me for you to say i don't see how any christian could vote for trump and yet not say the exact same thing about hillary clinton or barack obama for these other reasons.
2: Yeah, thanks thanks Dr. Brown. I, so this is where i would i would start on on that is that it, you and i can agree i think that when when we're voting we're we're not voting for a savior, right? Yes, um, sir. Yes, sir. And and uh I I think most Christians would say that they're not voting for a savior, but it it has everything to do with how we posture ourselves around the, where we put our hope. And, 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 and this is, this is where I would say uh, the way I think about voting is that we're actually not voting for a savior. We're doing damage control. We're trying to harness the principalities and powers that are hurting, um, our brothers and sisters. And, um, and, and that, that, that might sound cynical to some folks, but it's why I don't endorse candidates. So, are you saying you know, when you say, are you consistent? I, I don't endorse candidates because I feel like my loyalty to Jesus means I'm, I'm aligning with the v- values of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to, you know, work with anybody towards those ends. So, when Jesus says, when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me, I mean, th- that has some big implications on how we think about welcoming immigrants and Mm -hmm. asylum seekers. Um, So that's an an issue that that matters. Um, Abortion does matter to me, and I have written and spoken about abortion. Part of what I admire about Mother Teresa is her consistent ethic of life. She was passionately against abortion, but she was also passionately against the death penalty and war, and she was this beautiful voice that consistently stood for life. And when I look at the early church, uh, they had this consistent ethic of life, so I, I like to say that I'm pro-life from the womb to the tomb. Yeah. And I think that abortion does matter, but the irony that I saw in my own life growing up, I, I talked about being pro-life, but I only thought about it in terms of abortion. And again, I I I want passionately to reduce and eradicate abortion, but I think that there are other issues of life too. So to be pro-life to me means caring about abortion, but it also means caring about gun violence and alternatives to mm-hmm. the death penalty and welcoming immigrants and caring about the environment and um, and, and joining the movement to uh, advocate for um, uh, black lives, especially as we think of our brother Ahmad Arbery and uh, Breon uh, Taylor in Kentucky, you know, just so that, that ethic comes from this conviction that every person is made in the image of God, is an invaluable child of God. And anything that squashes someone's dignity or hope um, or cuts their life short, God takes that personally. Got it. Uh, so so, you know, it's really hard to find that ethic of life. I was very critical of Hillary Clinton, uh, not just on abortion, but she was for the death penalty. And so there was no uh, person in the last election that had a consistent ethic of life. No, neither party holds that very well. Uh, So I think the best that we can do is try to advocate for life and for love uh, and for those who are most vulnerable. So, you know, you read Matthew 25. I tell um, tell you
0: what, Matthew 25, 31 to 46, that's where we'll go when we come back and we'll talk about immigration and more.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
2: What I think as a Christian is that Jesus is inviting us to love beyond our biological family, beyond nationality. And so we're to love as big as God loves. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say God so loved America. It says God so loved the world. So we're to, our love is to be borderless and to uh, be big. And um, so, you know, America first is not just a political statement, but I think it's a theological heresy uh, to say America first because Jesus is the, the last shall be first. that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. And that's uh, uh, a very different kind of way of thinking of the world.
0: Those are the words of Shane Claiborne, who's with me today via Skype, as we're talking as brothers in the Lord, but with some different emphases, perspectives on political issues and things like that. And uh, Shane, I want to go to Matthew 25. I want to talk about what Jesus speaks of there in verses 31 to 46, which kind of, that was... Late '70s, early '80s, the church I was part of—like that was our text. That was that was the where we went and preached and taught and stirred things. That that and we sought to to live out. And of course, th- these are words of Jesus that remain relevant until the end of the age. But if if I if I press a little, Shane, here's here's my perception. But again, I haven't followed you carefully enough. Just with admiration and agreement of so much of the boat rocking you were doing to challenge status quo Christianity in America over the years, and and maybe I've heard you politically now during the Trump years, and I wasn't listening before then. So correct me if my my perception is wrong, but it feels to me as if you have been much more outspoken about Christian support of Trump than you were Christian support of Obama or Christian support of Hillary or Christian support of the Democrat Party, which. Point after point after point, I, I, I grieve over, I feel it's anti-life, anti-liberty, destructive, and of course, aspects of the Republican Party I, I don't agree with as well. And it, it's the <clears throat> Obviously, we talked right before we started, we prayed as brothers, and yet you're still saying you don't know how any Christian could vote for Trump. Are, are you? So just to be clear on this, and you don't have to give a long answer, because I want to dig in on these other issues. But are you questioning the salvation of someone who says, Hey, I don't like a lot about Donald Trump, but I prefer this, this, this? That's why I'm voting for him. It's just a vote, imperfect system, imperfect country. This is not the kingdom of God, a theocracy. So we're working with flawed human beings, just like the police chief may be flawed, or the heart surgeon may be flawed, or the grocer may be our president's going to be flawed. Are you questioning people's salvation that say, Hey, I think Trump is the best man for the job despite his shortcomings?
2: I uh, am looking to Jesus. And that's our our sounding board. That's our example. That's our model for everything. And I am suggesting that every Christian, myself included, let's read the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about the least of these. And let's um, allow that to inform Uh, how we vote, not just in November, but let's allow that to inform how we live uh, every day. And the more I read the red letters, the words of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the more that I find them Um, uh, irreconcilable with the priorities of Trump the priorities of Jesus are the least and the most vulnerable and and so I you know what 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 the the true indicator of the health of our nation is not how the Dow is doing it's how the poor and the most vulnerable are doing and even when I hear rhetoric and um language that I wouldn't even allow my kids to tweet. I think it was Max Lucato that said when their when his daughters dated someone, they didn't have to agree on everything, but the 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 guy had to at least pass the decency test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh no, trust so me, I, I I understand yeah. that. And but, but all right, so. so that's my concern is that this is not about disagreeing on policies. This is about some deep seated principalities and powers that I think Trump is just the manifestation of some of that. And it, and I'm I'm so deeply concerned about it because what is at stake is not just um, the, the reputation of uh, evangelicals, but really all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. We we care about things other than just uh, um, you know how the stocks are doing. Oh, all right, right. And so right. Like there, look, yeah. there
0: is there can be an appeal to carnality. There can be an appeal to a, an unhealthy nationalism as well. But again, when when you use words like cult use words like heresy I I, I guess a, a larger philosophical question w- would be if if we are asking America as a nation to live the way the church is called to live if we yeah. are if we are expecting our national leader to, you know for example Romans 13 talks about the role of government and obviously the death penalty thing you've debated over this but Romans 13 you know government and and uh, I imagine you think there should be some legitimate use of force to stop a criminal or, or so, someone on a murder spree, if the cops catch that person and put them in prison, that that's positive. You know, Some use of force, whereas the Sermon on the Mount uh, is, is counseling a certain way of life that is not ne- necessarily how a, a nation, a secular nation with some Christian roots, but otherwise a secular nation with a history of racism and other problems and faults is supposed to live. So let's say, God forbid, you had a child and that child had, had a terrible heart condition, and, and you had to find a heart surgeon. And the number one heart surgeon in your area, the only one who can perform this, this surgery with the hope of, of helping your child, is just, a, just an arrogant, nasty person, thinks the world revolves around himself. But he is the guy, he is the world's number one heart surgeon, and the only guy in your region that can perform this. And there's a Christian down the street really loves the Lord and could try it. I mean, they've never really operated on a the heart, they could try it. I imagine. That unless you're just going to trust God for a miracle, you, you'd go to the the nasty heart surgeon. So what I, what I'm wondering about is, yes, integrity matters, character matters. I, I believe a lot of Donald Trump's negatives have filtered down to the nation and made us more vulgar, even more divided. But when you keep talking about the 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 least of these, the, the first I'm thinking of is babies in the womb, babies in the womb. Whatever whatever happens, I got I got to fight for them first, and and yet. You can't see how a Christian could have that as a priority. Let's start with the least of these, and then try to have a, a holistic ethic of life and fairness and equity for everybody. All lives matter. But let, let's. Uh, I, I was one of the first to write an article about uh, Ahmed Arberry. You know, immediately got on that and talked about systemic unfairness in our nation. You know, so I'm I'm there with you to address issues. But it just it it, it feels. You know, you could talk about. I think Reverend you recall. Obama Reverend Obama a few years ago for singing amazing grace at a funeral it just it feels unequal what what it feels like to me and and please respond candidly it feels like you have these passionate christian values which i admire respect especially that you've sought to live them out that's the big thing i mean that's that's that smashes most of us in the face because you said hey let's try to live this out let's try to do it and yet other parts it almost sounds like the left wing talking points against the right that you're now baptizing into Christianity and isn't that doesn't fit there as part of a cult and guilty of heresy that's, that's how it feels that's what feels unequal and concerns me it, it's not like you're an equal opportunity offender on the left and the right it seems to just be going one direction correct me if my perception is wrong please
2: yeah thanks dr. Brown I, I don't I think some of these things are not about left and right they're about right and wrong um, they're, they're not just about these political polarities but they're 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 really about um, how we stay faithful to the things that Jesus calls us to. And, and, you know, I I look at, um, the scripture and it's filled with two, over 2000 verses about how we care for the poor and the most vulnerable. And so when we take our eyes off Jesus, I think we end up focusing on things Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about, and we don't focus on the things that Jesus had a whole lot to say about. So that's why, you know, we really keep guiding ourselves back to the red letters of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and uh, you know, with the, the, uh, the analogy you gave with the heart surgeon, uh, there's a lot to unpack in that. But it's one thing to say this person's a, a good heart surgeon. It's another to say that this is a godly man. This is God's man That's you know, God instituted, God intervened in the election, put, put this uh, person there. So uh, what, what um, I think one of the biggest dangers in America is this fusion of of, uh, God and American nationalism. So, yeah, uh, literally when, when our money says in God, we trust and our economy looks like the seven deadly sins, like this is problematic. And, you know, we're living in a pandemic and, uh, the way that you, you know, when you get a vaccine, it's like a watered down version of the disease and it knocks it out of your system. And, and, that, and I think that's part of the danger in America is having a watered down version of Christianity. So I see a lot of people that are rejecting this kind of Trump evangelicalism, but they haven't given up on Jesus. They've just given up on a distorted narrative of American nationalism that's camouflaging itself as Christianity. I'm but with it you it doesn't on that. pass the sniff test. It I, doesn't look like the Sermon on the Mount. I, I'm and so with you, right. That's my concern. You know, that's my primary concern is not just that we're, we're baptizing uh, this president. And uh, I, I just think that that's that's uh, deeply problematic. And there's I think the other thing to say in all this is that there's some deep racism that uh, is manifest in this administration in the language of Trump that has revealed a fault line in America of this um Past in this history that we haven't properly dealt with. And boy, because we, we think about the, the, the divide of race around the election. And, you know, even as 81% of white evangelicals supported Trump and many continue to defend him, um, over 70% of black and brown people of color that are Christians voted against him. Uh, and but, so but couldn't you just turn, turn that really around? Right,
0: right. But couldn't you turn that around, though? And by the way I've, I've for decades talked about the mistake of 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 associating patriotism with the kingdom of God and I was just writing last night about Christians must put the cross before the flag and there's there's no competition in our no loyalty yeah. and on the day when every knee bows down to Jesus willingly and unwillingly throughout the whole universe Trump is going to be one of billions and billions and billions bowing the knee as the whole universe does as I said willingly or unwillingly so I'm I, I'm absolutely with you step for step on many of the points and then I, I kind of <clears> – <throat> it's what feels like the, the double standard of the hypocrisy because I was so grieved over what I thought was the, the race-baiting policies and statements of President Obama in a very smooth way that, that played into things that – I've had black callers, uh, African-American callers call my show and say, we, we know ethically we cannot vote for Barack Obama because of XYZ stance, but we feel we have to because we're black and, and just, you know, how do, how do we process this? So I, I, I feel it goes both ways. I am absolutely with you, concerned about the rhetoric, concerned about yeah. the, the looking the other way with, with Trump's shortcomings. I believe he was uniquely, sovereignly raised up for a number of, of reasons. But as a Cyrus, someone who didn't know God, if you read the Cyrus inscription, Cyrus is boasting he's the king of all kings and Marduk appointed him. And God said, no, actually, I did. But I think a lot's been revealed. I agree with you. A lot yeah, of junk I, I, has been revealed in the uh, the the white evangelical church. But when I've heard "Make America Great Again," uh, all the people that I knew that agreed with that, it, it wasn't a race issue. It wasn't make America white. Uh, and, but when and, you
2: when you when you think outside of the white context, so and you go, "Make America Great Again." What era of American history oh, I, would I <laughs> like to relive? I right? just right? finished because reading the whole, a whole a whole book. Folks, right, right, right. right. Uh, so, so you know, for, I think it's pretty clear that for a lot of people, "Make America Great Again" makes means "Make America White Again." All
0: right, stop right there, there, there. Leave it right there, there and that's where we that's start. where we pick up.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
2: There's only like six or seven verses of the Bible that talk about same-sex attraction or mm-hmm. relationship, sexual relationships, And they're very different yeah. from how we're talking about monogamous Equi- you know e- equal relationships of lifelong partners that was a foreign idea to the, the those contexts which were much more about abuse and exploitation and of men and women in those situations you know and so um, that, that makes it that makes it really a um, uh, difficult um so at the end of the day I, I, I know a, 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 that Christians who love Jesus who love the Bible can arrive in different places I believe a tree is known by its fruit mm-hmm. I have friends that are in lifelong monogamous partnerships of the same gender and the fruit of their life looks like Jesus. It looks like everything that I know is beautiful and I, I celebrate that with them. So that's
0: the, the voice of Shane Claiborne who's graciously been with me now for this will be an entire hour. And the goal is as brothers to, to try to explain to one another why we see things so passionately. I mean, I, I categorically differ with that in, entire previous quote, in that I'm sure the whole Bible is saying marriage is the union of a man and a woman, and every so often needs to tell us what it's not. And that, look, I know Mormon families that seem like great people, and traditional Jewish families that seem like great people, and atheists seem like great people, but I don't change the Bible based on that. And I don't know how any Christian could celebrate that. So, those I, I have my very strong differences, or where Shane has said, let us rebuke all racism in the name of the brown skinned Palestinian Jew named Jesus. To call him Palestinian, to me, is this inflammatory thing that attacks Israel that comes up with a narrative with Palestine being a name that was put on a, a hundred years after uh, the, the time of Jesus to, to mock and denigrate the Jewish people and keep them out of Jerusalem, rather than saying, a, you know, an Israeli or Middle Eastern Jew, brown skin. So certain things, what I end up hearing is someone that's just kind of embraced unbiblical talking points that are also the talking points of the left. And then at the same time as anti-Trump, where Shane's saying as a follower of Jesus, he holds these perspectives. And that's why he has concern about evangelical support for Trump. So we're trying to flesh out our differences here as brothers. So Shane, I I said a lot, but I want to turn it over to you to respond in brief to what I said, or just get back to what you think is important regarding immigration and those things. It's over to you, sir.
2: Yeah, man. Well, the... the, uh... This conversation has been important. I think it's really, really important to talk with people that we don't agree with. And um, in in particular, one of the things that breaks my heart um, uh, when it comes to same sex marriage and the conversation around LGBTQ uh, folks is is um, how divided the church has been. And in, in one way, I just believe that we should be able to disagree well on it because it's something that I think you can have a strong argument one way or the other. The Methodist church just divided, uh, the global church is split. Um, uh, so in our communities, we are able to disagree on that issue. And, and, and I don't think that the government should be telling us what marriage is. I believe it's a sacrament. It's, it's, it's holy and, and, um, so the government shouldn't be, uh, you know, offering marriages any more than they're baptizing folks. Um, you know, but I, as I look at a lot of these issues that we're talking about, um, what's clear to me that in a, in, in America, this is not just a political crisis, but this is a spiritual crisis that as you look at Jesus in Matthew 25 saying, um, When you take care of the hungry, when you feed the hungry, you feed me. When you when you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. When you care for the sick, you provide health care for those who are, are, are sick. You take care of me. And in the end, the real test of our faith is how it demonstrates itself uh, to those who are most vulnerable. I want to be really careful to say I'm not saying our works earn our salvation. Mm-hmm. Our work, our works demonstrate our salvation. Yeah, yeah. And the way that Christianity is manifesting itself in this country, white evangelicalism in particular, the fact that the same people that led me to Jesus have led us to Donald Trump, um, it, 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 I find that, that really uh, painful. And I see a lot of people that are rejecting uh, Trump evangelicalism, but they're not giving up on Jesus. I, I believe that they're giving up on a certain version of Christianity as that, that has taken its eyes off of Jesus and in some ways has fallen more in love with Trump than with Jesus. And so I, I want to invite all of us you know, to come back to Jesus again and say, what would it look like if, if uh, this was my defining uh, rubric as I think about voting and policies? I think loving my neighbor as myself does mean caring about the policies that affect their lives. So I've got neighbors from all over the world here in in my neighborhood and I know the things that they left. The even the house I'm living in the family that used to live here is from El Salvador lived through the revolution there mm. and um and, and so there's folks that are just coming out of so much pain and the, the language that we've heard Donald Trump perpetuate around immigrants uh, and refugees is heartbreaking. The fact that the, the number of people that we are welcoming into this country is hitting generational lows like that. Does, that troubles me. I think we, you know, we uh, to be born again means that we're to love beyond biology. We're to love beyond nationalism and that we're to love as big as God loves. And, and, and uh, Mother Teresa had a great line, brother, uh, Dr. Brown. She said, sometimes our biggest problem is that the circle we put around our family is too small. Mm. And I think that's my uh, one of the things I find so problematic about nationalism is a love for our own people is not a bad thing. But, you know, for Christians, we're born again. Our love doesn't stop at the border. If, if someone's suffering on the other side of that wall, it's as tragic as if it were my own mother. Or my own sister or daughter. So, um, so, so let me that's, uh, that's let me ask you I, let me ask you is. a
0: question on that. And one of my goals, even in this this um, book I'm just finishing now about Trump and evangelicals, and will, will we pass the test? Uh, is to say, okay, can we, in the midst of political differences, deep differences, unite around Jesus? Now, to be candid, that the homosexuality issue to me, scripture is a very major one. And if we were fellowshipping together, that that would be more of a challenge to me than our than our political differences or, or and we may have.
2: Well, Jesus talks about a divorce and we're talking about a president that's thrice married and paid off a, a porn star, you know, and I, you know, I. I right. Believe- but no one's right. But we're all saying it's
0: wrong. In other words, no one's. Well, maybe someone's justifying it, but we're all agreeing that 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 that's wrong. But anyway, I, I don't want to focus on, on that because that hasn't been your, your major issue. Uh, to me, the issue is where LGBT activism goes, and coming out of the closet, putting others in the closet, as opposed to loving, caring for every individual, which Jesus wants us to do. But here, here's my question. Maybe we could we could end with this in these last four minutes, Shane. But I so appreciate having the conversation. Hopefully, we can model. Hey, we got some a, a lot more in common than we have that divides us. But it sounds as if we have much more that divides us than unites us. But Paul and first,
2: I have you on my radio show. I don't know if you know I've got one too, so uh, we'll have, have we'll have another one. My job, that would be it, a, that
0: would be a joy, absolutely. So, First Timothy five, Paul says that if you have um, a, a widow and, and you can care for that person, if you don't care for your own first, then you're worse than an unbeliever. So, America first can be an unhealthy nationalism, an unhealthy white nationalism. It could be all kinds of unhealthy things, or it could certainly mean, hey, we got to be healthy and strong first if we're going to help anybody else. And, and uh, just like you got to care for your family first, you don't let your family starve and then help someone else, just not in a selfish way, but hey, don't ask somebody else to help your own widow, y- you help. Uh, can there be any way where America says, hey, we want to be a, a healthy, strong country. And if we are, then we can help the rest of the world. Can there be anything healthy about America first?
2: So let me just first respond to when you were talking about the LGBTQ conversation. I, you know, I, I, I love a, a line that's attributed to Billy Graham. You may have heard this one, but Billy Graham said, it's God's job to judge. It's the spirit's job to convict. And it's our job to love. It's a great line. And and I, I remember the Barna Research Group a few years ago. They went to every state in the U.S. and they asked young non-Christians, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? And what they found was heartbreaking. The number one answer of what young non Christians said when they heard the word Christian is that we're anti gay. Yep. Number two was that we're judgmental. Number three that it was that we were hypocritical. So the list is not good, right? And Jesus said they will know that you are Christians by your love. So I think when we become known more for who we've excluded than who we've embraced, more for um, y- you know the, what we're against than who we're for, th- that's a problem. And so I, I, my dream is a gen- generation from now when people hear the word Christian, they will say love. They will say justice. They will say peace. You know, that those yeah, are the yeah. things that Jesus preached and lived. And uh, I think, you know, as we think about immigration, I'll I'll just stop with this, is that um, th- there, what's at war, I think, in our country is this battle between love and fear. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm convinced that fear and love are, are enemies. They're like opposing magnets. And Scripture says that perfect love casteth out fear. Uh, and, and so I think right now we've got to decide what it means to be a country of love, what it means to have policies that are driven more by love than by fear. And that's that, that's my real hope that we will go, you know, to the uh, the, the voting booth and, and vote for love to remember those who are most vulnerable and to vote for them um, and, and to, to let that be the driving force, not just on Election Day, but on every day.
1: Got it.
0: Hey, and you actually end it with a radio announcer style to, to give me a few seconds at the end. So obviously, when I put the most vulnerable first, that's the unborn. That's why I voted the way I have in recent years. But Shane, so much of what you said, I agree with. In, in fact, uh, as soon as I finish this manuscript, I know I get endless requests to endorse things and look at things, and I, and I normally can't. But uh, I'm, I'm going to send it to you to take a look at because I wouldn't be surprised if in the midst of certain Different conclusions we come to that there's not a, f- a lot of fundamental disagreement. So you heard it, friends. The whole world watching. You heard that Shane is going to have me on his radio show. <laughs> we get to continue the conversation. And and look, I'll have my team give you my private contact info if you'd like to be in, in contact off the air. But thanks for joining me. I I, th- I
2: think it's fruitful and productive. We're out of time. oh, what's your website? Uh, Christians dot org, and I'm on social media under my name. Yeah, Shane Claiborne. Thanks so much, Dr. Brown.
0: All right, thank you.